dogs were designed and bred for certain reasons. They might have very strong characteristics linked to their breed. First we fulfill the animal, then we fulfill the dog, the species, then we look at breed, right? And making sure that that dog is getting its needs met. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another episode of Honest to Dog Podcast. It's me, Liz Foley, your favorite dog trainer. Joined by Jeff Gadway, your maybe favorite co-host? Top yeah, five, just, anyways. Just deliver it with confidence. Just tell the Your people. favorite co-host, <laughs> Jeff Gadway. There you go. So, Liz, today we are talking about DNA testing your dog. Mm-hmm. I think breed is kind of an interesting characteristic in that it's one of the top two questions you always get asked when you meet somebody maybe out on a walk or Mm -hmm. at a dog park they ask you two things what breed is your dog what's your what's your dog what kind of what kind of dog is that Mm -hmm. and how old yeah and usually like that too how old yeah or what's his name right get three questions right and none of which actually truly tell you all that much about the dog well that's just it and i think that's why it's so interesting to be having this conversation today because i'm interested to hear as a dog trainer how important is the breed Mm -hmm. and how does it factor into your approach to training that dog we're not going to talk about specific breeds necessarily we Mm -hmm. did one about breeds already talking about some of the different groups of dogs and the characteristics. What we're going to try to get at today is what DNA testing can tell you about your dog and how that factors into the training experience. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Breed does play a role, um, but it's not, I don't think, as big as a role as most people make it out to be. I don't use it usually as an excuse for certain behaviors, Um, you sometimes hear that, oh, he's a German shepherd, he will bark. Or working breed dogs that they're bound to pull, for example. Right. Yeah. Huskies, he's going to pull. I focus more so on, we talk about this a lot in the podcast, energy and pack position. That's to me going to tell me so much more upfront about that dog and how I'm going to train and work with that dog. And then I do think about down the line, If this is a dog of a certain breed category that is showing certain characteristics, how do we then fulfill the dog in in its entirety? So first we fulfill the animal, then we fulfill the dog, the species, then we look at breed, right? And making sure that that dog is getting its needs met. Because if we're being honest, dogs were designed and bred for certain reasons. So they might have very strong characteristics linked to their breed. So it's not all entertainment. There's, I think there's a large element of entertainment Absolutely. in it. We're curious. That's if our, you have a mutt, especially. You want to know what's in that mutt. But it's not all just for curiosity entertainment. There is mm-hmm. some value there from a training perspective. Mm-hmm. So talk about why we have DNA tested our dogs. We've, ha- we've tested Carmen... Ty and Baker mm-hmm. over the years. Talk a little bit about why we did that. And, you know, we'll talk about each dog and sort of what we learned. Yeah. I think we did it with Carmen just out of curiosity. We were just like, she's perfect. How did they make this? <laughs> um, what, How do we replicate this yeah. perfect specimen? I just thought she was so freaking cute. She was beautiful. She was just well mannered and had a great temperament. 
Um, so we were just kind of curious what what made a Carmen. And we used uh, DNA My Dog. I think that might have been the only one available at the time or the only one we knew of. Um, and it was relatively inexpensive. And so I think with that, knowing that, we we're like, okay, mm, I don't know how accurate this is really going to be. So let's just take it as a grain of salt. It, and I've always been a little, just a, a smidge suspicious. Yeah. I'm not generally a suspicious person by by default, but it seemed a little odd to me. It's like, okay, send us pictures of your dog. Send us guesses of what your dog mm. might be. And then <laughs> oh, yeah. we will either confirm or deny what you're telling us. And so I kind of just pictured the DNA testing process as them throwing out the swab and having a few people sit around and look at the picture and try to guess. Yeah. I'm sure that's not what they do. That's me being, you know, a little bit extra. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of like, take it with a grain of salt. And what did we learn? (laughs) Well, we did have a bit of a laugh because, and I found the DNA results cleaning out the doghouse just this past week. Um, and number one, like she didn't have anything, I think like being like 50% or higher, this is your dog. Um, so she was like the next level down German short haired pointer, which she doesn't look anything like, um, beagle, which made sense to us. Yep. Just, we kind of thought that one might be in there, um, just due to her shape and size and her love of following her nose. I mean, she had a big snows. Yeah. And then she also had Great Pyrenees in there. And Great Pyrenees are very large dogs. You have white, fluffy hair. And I was pretty surprised to see that one on there. Oh, and I'm pretty sure she had Greyhound. That was another one that was pretty surprising. That when I saw that, I was like, oh, um, okay. So I know you can't really predict what a dog is going to look like based on what breeds are in there i've seen so many different dogs with very surprising breed backgrounds but uh, those ones just didn't kind of make that much sense to me and what's interesting going back to your point on she wasn't predominantly any one thing Mm -hmm. that sort of resonates with me because carmen was a street dog from mexico and you yourself spent time working with strays in Mexico, and you mm-hmm. came back and you said, well, Carmen kind of looks like the typical dog. If mm-hmm. dogs were just left to breed amongst themselves, that's sort of what they become. That's the mean. Yeah. And so that kind of, that makes sense. I would have been surprised had she come back 70% something, mm-hmm. just given yeah, the very nature of kind of where she was from and and the natural selection process yeah, there. Yeah, she was definitely a Heinz 57. Yeah. I want to circle back to that for a second because the, I I didn't just make that up. That's actually, I read that somewhere. I'm a horrible researcher. I can't tell you where. <laughs> I learned most things. It's just like somewhere. the people are saying. Um, but yeah, if dogs were left to breed on their own, they would be a mixture of black and tan coloring. And that's what Carmen was. Yeah. She was predominantly black with tan markings. And then Ty is more tan or fawn with a little bit of black speckled in there and he really looks like dogs from asia right that's probably a good segue to ty so mm-hmm. we had ty and baker tested at the same time mm-hmm. and what we discovered about each of them couldn't be more different yeah so talk a little bit about what ty's results yielded for us yeah so we did want to get his dna tested to have more insight into his behavior 
we were dealing with reactivity. We found he had pretty high prey drive. Um, we were just really curious. Also, too, because we got asked all the time, what is he? He looks like a fox. Is that a Shiba in you? And we just wanted to have some answers. <laughs> and so I was like, "He's his result is going to be such a mix, a hodgepodge of so many different breeds. It's going to be like Carmen all over again. It'll be hilarious, but maybe it will give us some insight. Um, and then Bakers, we did just out of pure curiosity of what makes something this cute. Well, I think with Baker, we knew there was a large Chihuahua component. Yes. Like that was without question. But, you know, he doesn't look like your typical Chihuahua, bug-eyed Chihuahua. Mm -hmm. He's got a really unique look to him. And mm -hmm. we had some suspicions. We can talk about him in a sec. So we really wanted to just understand what that maybe secondary mm -hmm. strain was. So what did what did Ty's results come back? So Ty's results came back not um, offering us much help, <laughs> where he came back 100% one breed, which blew my mind. But that breed was Southeast Asian village dog. Not very helpful. No, pretty much just confirming, yes, he's a mutt. He, your dog is 100% mutt. Yeah. yeah. And so it was just like, wow, these stray dogs literally created their own kind. And that's what we have. Good luck. Like there's no what this dog was bred for, what this dog was used for and all of that. Like, so we, we didn't really get much. We just know he's a scavenger and he's persistent and he's resilient and he is a dog. <laughs> 100% dog. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it confirmed that he is from Asia. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would have been really suspicious of those results if, you're, if they were like, your dog is 100% Latin American street dog. It's mm -hmm. like, no, 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 no. We know we know he came from Thailand. So mm -hmm. something's amiss here. So at least they had the region of the world right. Yeah. We also did use a different company for these ones. For Thai and Baker, we used Embark. Right. Embark's a little more expensive, um, but I think they do a really good job of providing as much information as they can with what they're given. And yeah, it's the same kind of thing where you use a swab and you get some of your dog's saliva and you ship it off and you wait a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, what they send you is pretty cool. And we'll talk about some of those characteristics in a minute when we discuss a couple of dogs that you've trained incorporating their DNA attributes. But before we get there, let's talk quickly about Baker because unlike Ty that kind of came back as 100% mutt, we actually got some answers with Baker. Mm -hmm. So what did Baker's results tell us? Baker's results also kind of surprised me where I thought he was going to be like 50% Chihuahua and then 50% something else. And he actually came back 30% Chihuahua, 30% Pomeranian. And I was like, hmm, wow, okay, interesting. Not what I expected. Um, again, because his fur is quite different. We thought maybe Terrier of some sort in there. Um, his coloring doesn't resemble that only thing that we kind of thought all oh, that makes sense is his tail because we're like why does this chihuahua have a curly tail little spiral like it's so cute and so we just joke that his tail is his little 30 percent of pomeranian <laughs> oh, i wouldn't change a thing about him and then i think he had 11 percent poodle and the rest was super mutt right right 
so a, l- a little bit more definitive with Baker than than say than say Ty was. So we've talked about one of the reasons why you might want to DNA test your dog, which is to scratch that curiosity itch. Mm-hmm. But there is that second component of using some of the insights to help guide your training, particularly if you found yourself stuck with your dog. Mm-hmm. So before we talk about a couple of examples where that's helped you as a trainer, can you just dig a little bit deeper on the animal species breed order of operations, so to speak, and how breed coming third factors in relative to the first two? Mm-hmm. So this is what Caesar Milan teaches with dog psychology. It's actually one of Caesar's five natural dog laws where animal comes first, then species, then breed, then name. And humans do it the opposite way. We start with name. What's your dog's name? What's his breed, right? I can see he's a dog and I know he's an animal. But with with doing that, we're humanizing dogs and we're focusing on the wrong part of the equation. We're attaching personality to the name yeah, and exactly. the, the being versus first recognizing this is an instinctual animal mm-hmm. of the canine. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So as dog owners, we have to honor the animal first. Animals need food, water, and safety. Okay, so that's their bucket filled. Then you go to dog. Dog as species, they need exercise, discipline, affection. Cool. So if I've done those two things with a human, I've worked on those two things, and the dog's problems, the behaviors improve, the problems go away, then we're great. We have done our job. We have reestablished harmony in the relationship. We have a dog that's fulfilled, and we can just carry on. Chances are trust and respect are reinforced yep. by, by doing those things. Exactly. If that isn't enough to rectify the relationship and clean up those behaviors, then I'm going to look to breed. Okay, well, we've got a German Shepherd here or a Golden Retriever or whatever breed of dog. And then I'm going to look into what is that dog known for doing? What are the problem behaviors we're still seeing? Maybe a lot of the time it's an issue still being stuck on the walk, right? Like the dog's doing great. Listening in the house is better. But that walk that the dog wants to push forward just a little bit. And so nine times out of 10, we're dealing with a working breed dog. And that is the element that that dog isn't getting fulfilled. Their breed specific need isn't getting its outlet. And so it turns into frustration, pent up energy, yeah, a general wanting and yearning for for more. And so, yeah, walks aren't going to be fulfilling enough. I'll recommend a lot of the time doing a DNA test if we're dealing with a mutt of a dog that we don't know what is at the core and I'm just speculating, right? I'm saying, well, I think based on my knowledge, looks like there could be some Rottweiler in there. So these behaviors might be why we're seeing that. But I think everybody wants confirmation. We want to know things a little bit deeper, right? Like I'm a dog trainer. I still wanted to DNA test our rescue dogs because I'm like, okay, I want to understand them better. If you can understand your dog better, you can better honor its instincts and cater your philosophy, approach, style more 
in a more personalized way. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we've talked about it when we've done episodes about training Caesar's way, where one of the exercises in the five days is sheep herding. And it's a really cool opportunity. It's interesting because Caesar doesn't actually teach it. He brings someone else in and this is his job. And so he's got his dog performing all the tasks and like this dog loves to work. It's a border collie, right? It's like main purpose is moving sheep. So it is living for that job. And then we pull in different dogs from the course and see how they do. And some dogs, they aren't bred for that purpose, but they can be really good at it. So again, I'm not saying that if the breed is there, those instincts, that drive will necessarily be there. There are so many other factors to it. And for example, you could have a breed that's not bred for really anything in particular, but excel at a job. That's Bobby's dog, Apollo, the Frenchie. They always bring his dog out to herd the sheep because no one's ever seen a sheep uh, a sheep dog that's a bulldog. As I'm hearing you describe this, the mental image that I'm getting in my head, it's kind of identifying a thread to pull on, right? So if you identify that there could be this herding instinct based on a DNA test and a breed that you know is in the mix, now you have a thread that you can pull on. It could be a herding instinct. It could be a pointing instinct or something like that. And It may or may not be there to a certain extent, but at least you've got a starting point from which to work to try to identify a new tool in your toolkit. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like putting your kid in different sports to see what they would be good at. If there's a natural athletic ability, wouldn't you want to celebrate that? Sure. Wouldn't you want to exhaust that potential and see where it takes you? Because that ultimately is probably what's going to make your dog happiest. And maybe if you have a shepherd, it doesn't mean having your dog has to do sheep herding. It could mean that your dog channels that into agility. It could mean your dog channels that into dock diving or carrying something on their walk. Like there's so many different elements of how we can make this scalable. Sure. How much of this instinct do we have in a dog? Where should we channel it to? And how realistic is this to upkeep? Because suppression is an option, but that usually doesn't work. Why work against Mother Nature? That's another one of the laws, Ah. one of Caesar's uh, natural dog laws. Work with Mother Nature, not against it. Always going to be easier. So there are small dogs that like to burrow. That's part of their instinct. Create a sandbox in your backyard and be like, there's your designated spot to do X. Yeah. Sometimes people do scent training and scent games in the house too. My only thing is, is once you open up that can of worms, be prepared to commit to it because your dog has had that outlet. And if they enjoyed it, they're going to want to live for that. So make sure you can keep it as a part of their regular life. Yeah. Or else it's, it's not fair to your dog. You've kind of awoken one of their natural breed implied characteristics and then taken it away. And that's Mm -hmm. not really fair. Mm-hmm. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption, but we wanted to take a minute and answer some questions that we've been getting from people about the Relationship Reboot since we announced the second cohort that's going to be launching in February. So we wanted to just take a minute and share a little bit about what people are saying. Catherine McAllister in the Slack group said, Thanks so much for an incredible 10 days. I will miss waking up in the morning and starting my day off with Liz and Jeff. 
This experience has been amazing and I have noticed a big difference in my relationship with Ruby and it gave me great insight into dog psychology. Looking forward to continuing to explore this. Maybe there'll be a reboot 2.0? Here's hoping. Another person said, it was really cool learning and practicing new things with a community behind me, cheering us on. My dog is a lot more focused on me and we're communicating with each other so well. Rachel Tremaine says, thank you so much for this reboot. It's been a real treat to be a part of this like-minded community and it was so interesting to learn and read about other challenges and wins and the responses on how to approach these scenarios. It's been so informative. This reboot certainly sets you up for a great foundation and a healthy relationship with your pup. And those are just a couple of examples of the great things people are saying about the relationship reboot. We just got the data in and the vast majority of people are saying that they feel more calm, they feel closer to their dog and more confident as a leader. Loria Tone says she had breakthroughs with her loose leash walking and established herself as her dog's pack leader. I'm so proud of everybody who did our first reboot and the successes that they saw. If you want to join us for the next cohort of the 10-day relationship reboot, it starts February 1st, and you can find more details in our link at Honest to Dog Podcast. Now back to the show. Let's talk about some examples of where you have tapped into understanding the breed through a DNA test right? Yeah. to help you overcome or help your clients overcome maybe some hurdles in their training. Mm-hmm. So a dog that always comes to mind for this exact reason is Toko. So Toko was a farm dog, like literally, I think up in Elmira, um, at not accident, a dog loose and another dog loose and intact and they made a baby, a litter. Is and that how it happens? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um, and so they ended up just adopting this dog, just thinking it could be a regular companion pet. And this dog had energy for days. This dog really, really challenged them. And so we did training. We did group class. We did private lessons. Heck, we did a board and train. Um, and part of the the problem was his pack position was definitely farther in front of them naturally of everybody in the family so they they had that working against them and we did all the things all the steps right of fulfilling the animal fulfilling the dog the species that it was like i i know there's um more that we can be offering toko to actually deplete his energy reserves and not just like skim the surface because his frustration was building. He was um, very mouthy with his family. Okay. Like that kind of comes up later where like we do have herding breeds mixed in there when we got his DNA results. And it's like, okay, some of this is making sense now. That was able to change our trajectory of the training and come up with a solution. So you recommended to Toko's family to get the DNA test done. Mm -hmm. And what were some of the insights that you got back with the results? Okay, so I have it right in front of me because they emailed it to me. And it, it was, it's just kind of funny to me because I was like, I think we're dealing with like a couple working breeds in there. And these were the results. 33.3% German Shepherd, 18.7% Collie, 11.7% Labrador Retriever, 11.1% American Eskimo, 
8.7% Golden Retriever, 6.9% Chow Chow, 5.5% Border Collie, and 4.1% Super Mutt. So when you look at that as a trainer, are you looking at the specific breeds or how do you interpret those results in terms of sort of aggregating or synthesizing that data? Yeah, generally I would, I would just look at it in terms of what are the categories for each dog. So here he has three that are herding breeds, right? So then that explains some of the mouthing that we've seen. Uh, also some of the high energy, some of the intellect of why this dog is. Sure. I always say that some of the most challenging dogs to train are the smartest dogs. Yeah. Because they will outsmart you. They will try. They will make you work for it. Um, then we've also got two retrievers in there and two non-sporting. So two sporting and two non-sporting and three herding. Um, so to me, it just made a lot of sense of like, okay, that explains some of the energy level here and the determination and cleverness, all of that rolled together. It's like, okay, we, we need to step up our game because this is like a super, super human dog. And so <laughs> a super dog. And so how did that new insight guide you as a trainer and some of the exercises or strategies that you provided to Toko's family? We increased socialization. So Toko was coming more frequently to the daycare um, so that we could, if you can't necessarily fulfill a specific drive in a dog, I always amplify um, just doing socialization because that's always going to appeal to majority of dogs and we knew that toko was middle front so there was definitely happy-go-lucky energy there so it's like let's let's bring out more dog than more shepherd uh, okay and just socialize him and give him those full days of like two yeah there's socialization but those doghouse days were full day training as well so we were actually hiring him more, more so more mental discipline and and structure yeah we also started implementing biking with him so that he could run um as a sporting dog as a herding dog like they want to get up to full speed so like we noticed that with ty even like he just loves to run so just like release all of that energy go have fun with it um, and then lastly, we changed their tool. We started implementing e-collar again, more so that the humans could have more control because he was a more dominant dog than they were. We needed to make sure and he was also very, very strong. He was a big dog. He was very strong, um, more physically able than his family. So we had to use something to compensate for that, to give them a handicap. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And how did that work out for Toko? What were some of the results that, that you see once you mix things up a little bit based on that new understanding of, of him as a breed? Amazing. It helped him settle way more, helped him to actually listen much better and respect his humans. Um, so we saw a different dog. Oh, and I forgot one other thing we did as well. Again, because we were dealing with some working breeds in there, we... And like along with e-collar, we did um, hand-fed meals and like working for those meals. Ah, gotcha. So he 
would get his breakfast or at least half of his breakfast while on his walk. And anytime he performed the behaviors, he was getting rewarded with food. And so his engagement improved massively. Siemens became more relevant on the walk. He worked for his breakfast meal and then would be able to settle in his crate afterwards. Like it just, things started clicking for Toko. And I realized, okay, yeah, that's that's when we have to unlock the next level of like, now we're dealing with a breed. How do we fulfill that breed? How do we fulfill those seven different breeds of dog to make Toko the best he can be? Right, right. But I like that you looked at it kind of at a, at a group level and you weren't putting too much stock in the individual breeds and like stereotyping specific right. breed specific characteristics. It was more, okay, we've got a lot of working dog in here. We've got a lot of, you know, this kind of group and that informed your, your decision and didn't over rotate, so to speak. Too, there's so much. It's not like it was half and half. Um, there were so many different breeds in there that it wouldn't make sense to really just focus in on one breed. It's more like, let's just look at the categories. Okay, we've got herding, we've got sporting, and we've got non-sporting. Okay, go. What's our plan? <laughs> right. So Toko's just one example of a number of dogs where you've used this strategy and introduced DNA testing and some breed-specific characteristics to help you overcome a blockage. Do you see there being a risk if people DNA test their dogs learn a breed and maybe over rotate on the characteristics of that breed yeah there might be i mean if you got chihuahua and you were like well that explains why he's just so barky all the time well i would disagree i mean we have part chihuahuas in our home and we do everything in our power to make sure that they aren't little yappy small dogs um so yeah i would caution away from excusing certain behaviors as being a characteristic of the breed. Um, yes, cane corsos will have a desire to protect or guard. That's part of the DNA. But if we have a dog that's mixed with other things and that, there could also be behavioral stuff going on, a unbalanced relationship. Like we can't just put it all on. Well, he's going to do X because of this breed. And write that behavior off yeah. altogether, right? Yeah. If anything, it may be gives you some indication all on... the more reason to train to prevent those behaviors from happening exactly exactly so that kind of leaves us with the one member of our pack who we have not yet dna tested mm -hmm. young mr blue and i'm always so curious so curious to come up with like what i think he is in looking at him like i'm just fascinated so i'll start like google imaging and i'm like you know what let's just get some answers but now i'm curious yeah what do you think if you were a betting person i don't think i should share what i think okay because i want to ask our listeners okay and i don't want to persuade anyone any which way so how does this little contest gonna work liz Okay, so I think let's we'll post a photo of just blue. Okay. And then we'll allow everybody in the comments to put in their vote, cast their vote, say what breeds they think he is. And we'll actually get a DNA test. Perfect. We'll do an Embark DNA test and then we can reveal his results. And the person who gets closest gets blue? No. Oh, no. Okay, sorry. Misunderstood <laughs> the assignment. Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Mm, why don't they get a 45-minute free consultation with me? I think that sounds like a pretty good deal. I think that's a really good deal. Perfect. So stay tuned on at Honest to Dog podcast on Instagram for that photo. And 
your chance to identify what's in blue and win a chance to uh, chat with Liz. Yeah. All right. Sweet. Love it. Well, thanks for unpacking how DNA testing can be a great tool from a training perspective and also to just appease that curiosity that we all have about knowing our dogs a little bit better so that we can love and fulfill them all that much more. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, stay calm and assertive and DNA test your dog. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment or a review. We'd love to hear from you. We release a new podcast weekly. Follow us on Instagram at Honest to Dog Podcast.